Welcome to In-Depth Studies Weekend. In-Depth Studies is the teaching ministry of Jeff Volker, which seeks to equip the believer with a theological foundation. All teaching is from the point of view of the doctrines of grace and New Covenant theology. Welcome again to another edition of In-Depth Studies Weekend. I'm your host, Paul Honeycutt, joined as always by Jeff Volker, Director of In-Depth Studies. Jeff, this is a fascinating study. This is our third week looking at the priesthood of Melchizedek and all that it, that represents. And I, I said to you off air just a moment ago, if you don't understand the Old Testament, if you haven't got a pretty good handle on Le, the Levitical priesthood and the, 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 the law and all, how all that fleshes out, you're going to have a hard time understanding Hebrews, at least first blush. I really think that's true. Um, in, in my experience, guys, from both a dispensational point of view and a covenant theology point of view, both find the book of Hebrews rather mysterious mm-hmm. because it just doesn't fit. And from a point of view of new covenant theology, how the old relates to the new, the picture fulfillment thing, all of a sudden it, it makes perfect sense. And it's one of the easiest books to understand instead of being one of the more difficult books to understand. Right. It really does open up the Old Testament scriptures. It really does. Oh, by the way, this is sort of a, a little bit of a commercial evening as we're getting started here today. We have, with In-Depth Studies, we have an email newsletter, In-Depth Studies newsletter that comes out monthly. And the newsletter contains some articles. It contains all of the various uh, activities, classes, upcoming seminars, mm-hmm. things that we're doing, all information about the ministry of In-Depth Studies. It's all contained in that, and it comes out monthly, and, and it's in electronic email newsletter. If you would like to get this newsletter, all you have to do is you can go on the website, which is www.ids.org, and there is a place you can say, I want the newsletter, and all we need is your email address, and we will put you on the list. Or you can just email me at jeff.volker. Remember that Jeff with the G-E-O-F-F. You know, don't complain about how I'm spelling it, but that's just the Lord, you know, I had no choice in the matter. But jeff.volker at ids.org, you can just email me and say, here's my email address, put me on the newsletter list, and I'll be glad to do that. So we just, just at the beginning here, because to tell you about the newsletter, because this is probably the most, the easiest way to be kept abreast of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And, the, and there's all sorts of stuff on the newsletter of stuff that we're doing. Example, just to give you an example, we have one Saturday night a month we call Saturday Night Theology. We just take a topic, and we actually do it at my home, and everybody's invited to come. And Now, by the time this program airs, because obviously we're recording these ahead of time, uh, this, this particular Saturday Night Theology will have been long gone. <laughs> but that's okay. This give you an idea. Since we are discussing in Hebrews 7 now the whole issue of Jesus as a priest after the order of Melchizedek, this particular Saturday, which would be the October 17th, mm-hmm. the one that uh, is coming up as far as when we're recording, uh, the Saturday Night th- Theology uh, topic is Melchizedek and his significance. And we, we just discuss that with a little finger food in a comfy environment of a living room, and we just give and take, very informal, and we walk through the Scripture. So this is, we, we take different topics every month. And if you'd like to uh, participate in that, and you're in the Phoenix area, we, you're certainly welcome to come, and the newsletter gives you the info regarding that. So that's just a bit of a commercial. Good reminder. Okay. 
So we are in uh, still in Hebrews chapter 7. Yes. And I think we left off at uh, just finished verse 22. Yes. Yeah, so here we are uh, once again reminding the folks that the author of Hebrews is doing this comparison and contrast of the priesthood of two different covenants, two different priesthoods, the old covenant, which is called the Levitical priesthood, sometimes called the Aaronic priesthood, because it's, it's the tribe of Levi, the family of Aaron, the males, 30 to 50 years old, who are the priests. Okay. In comparing, contrasting that with the new covenant, which is the priesthood of Jesus, which is the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, a different kind of priesthood. That's the author of Hebrews in chapter 7 is very clear to point out. This is a different critter, a different kind of priesthood. This priesthood actually does something, actually takes away your sins and transforms your life. So let's pick it up, Hebrews 7, verse 23, where it says, Now there have been many of those priests, that is, priests of the Old Covenant, Levitical priesthood. There have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. Yeah, they're always dying on us. You know, that's, that's the way it goes. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And, of course, this assumes you understand his role as our Redeemer. He went to the cross. The Father poured out his wrath on the Son. The Son represented all those whom the Father chose to save, that is, all those who are going to believe. Jesus satisfied the just demands of a holy God. He paid the penalty for their sins. Then he died, he rose from the dead, then he ascended up to heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, and then the language is he always lives to intercede for us. And the idea is because he rose from the dead and ascended, He now continues to live, which means that what he accomplished on the cross continues to be valid for as long as he lives, which is forever. So if he died for my sins, and of course, at the appointed time when if he did die for my sins, the Holy Spirit draws me to himself, grants me the gift of faith, repentance and faith, I believe and therefore I have forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future, and because he lives forever, therefore my sins are forgiven forever, therefore I have eternal life. And that's the argument. And, of course, the argument is that the priesthood of Jesus is a permanent priesthood in comparison to the Levitical priesthood, which is a temporary priesthood. It's temporary because their priests always died. And because they died, that should tell you that priesthood is temporary. It's only a picture. It was never meant to last forever. Therefore, it has really nothing to do with actual forgiveness of sins. Only a picture. It's just really kind of remarkable. And so verse 25 says, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. The death of Jesus on the cross actually does, accomplishes everything necessary for our salvation. He both pays for all of our sin, past, present, and future, and purchases a transformed life for those for whom he dies. And you think of chapter 10, verse 14, which is the, that's sort of the thematic verse in the book of Hebrews, 
where it says, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This is what he accomplished on the cross for those whom the Father chose to save. Yeah, I'm struck when it says save completely back in Hebrews 7, 24, that, or 25 rather, that, that idea that there's nothing I have to do beyond yeah. that. There are things I will do. There are works, there are fruit, all that stuff. But, uh, but my salvation is complete. Once I'm, once I'm saved, I'm always saved. And it's, it's done, unlike other religious systems where you continue to earn and, and hope you make it and all that kind of stuff. No, this is a this is a once for all. Yes, it's there's um, it's not Jesus plus. Right, right. Yeah, I grew up Roman Catholic, mm-hmm. and I went to Catholic school, and but it was in in Catholic, Roman Catholicism. It is Jesus plus right. what you do. Jesus is always there. I mean, the crucifix is everywhere. Jesus is always there, but it's Jesus plus. Jesus got you going. Mm-hmm. Plus, what you do gets you accepted. And this point is, no, 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 no. We cannot add one thing to what Jesus did. And it's absolutely true in Scripture that, you know, you think of the book of James, faith without works is dead, that you cannot be saved without a transformed life, but the transformed life is the evidence of Jesus dying for you, not the cause of your acceptance. Because the quality of our works are never perfectly pure. And so we do exhibit a changed life because we have a new heart, because that's what the Holy Spirit creates in us, and that's all part of what Jesus purchased. But the basis of our acceptance, and this is so terribly clear from Hebrews 7 to 10, which is the section in the book of Hebrews that focuses particularly on the cross, Mm -hmm. the work of Jesus on the cross. It actually accomplishes everything. And that's why it's, it's so critical to get a handle on this and to walk through this, because there is, there is just, even if he didn't grow up Roman Catholic before he became a believer, you still have these Roman Catholic tendencies mm-hmm. to somehow think that what we do, in some sense, adds to our salvation, in right. some sense. And the point is, no, it doesn't. You cannot add to what the work of our, our high priest on the cross. You cannot add to that. Because he perfectly satisfied the just demands of a holy God in our place. And, it's, and that's why it says, therefore, he is able to save completely mm-hmm. those who come to God through him. And once again, since we're discussing New Covenant theology in these opening months of this radio program, the center, the, the hub of the wheel, as it were, of New Covenant theology is the cross. Because everything is all about the cross, really. Uh, and so it's just crucial that we never, ever, ever forget that. Yeah, but it's, it's also crucial, I think. I mean, we, we hear the term all the time, you know, Christ-centered, gospel-centered, cross-centered. I mean, these are, these are popular phrases that are yes. everywhere. And yet, unfortunately, when you look be, be, behind those, quite often you see a, a false gospel or, or at least a, a faulty gospel and misunderstanding quite often of how it all really works mm-hmm. out. That's why these three chapters, uh, 7, 8, well, actually four chapters, 7, 8, 9, and 10 of Hebrews are so pivotal and so important. You know, I was, we've been reading uh, in our church, Spiritual Depressions, uh, Causes and Cures by Martin Lloyd-Jones, 
And while we don't agree with every single word he says, he keeps coming back to this idea that you must understand the cross. Your doctrine is critical because without it, then you start down all kinds of bad roads. And you start you start overemphasizing or underemphasizing rather important things. Yeah, that brings us to mind that one of the things we do with end up studies is we we produce blogs mm. on various topics. And the most recent blog is entitled "Doctrine Cures Depression," right. which sounds right. so bizarre, actually, but it's really taken from taken from uh, the book by Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, mm-hmm. "Spiritual Depressions, Causes, and Cure," and the idea that it's a failure to remember who you are in relation to what Jesus did for you that causes you to spiral down into depression. And uh, so the the solution is to remember, and uh, therefore doctrine does cure depression, which is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. It just sounds a little strange when you say it, but that's why we put it as the title for the blog. So let's pick this up now. Verse 26 of Hebrews 7. The... The author says this, such a high priest, Jesus, of course, is that, meets our need, which is such a wonderful way of saying it. He meets our need. Mm-hmm. See, what, what, is, what is my need? I need to be forgiven, and I need to be changed, because I am fundamentally a self-centered individual as a result of Adam's sin. I come into this world, which is also another way of saying a God-hater. I am that way. Mm-hmm. And so to get my sins forgiven is absolutely crucial, but I also have to have a change. And he makes me this incurable God-lover, the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And so it says, such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer, offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for, the, for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who are weak, that is the old covenant priesthood. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. Okay, let's sort of, using the phrase, this is a phrase of uh, D.A. Carson. Who's, who's really, a, we really, uh, I really enjoy reading his uh, work and listening to him teach. And, but he uses this phrase, we're going to, imp, you know, unpack this, mm. you know. And uh, so that's what we're going to, going to do. So he starts out in verse 27. He says, unlike the, the old covenant priest, Jesus doesn't have to keep offering sacrifices because he actually sacrificed for all the sins of everyone who's going to believe in him once and for all on the cross. And when it says on the cross, when it's said in the Gospels, he says, it is finished. And, of course, the word is like paid in full, done. And then he died. So he accomplished this once and for all. And, of course, the idea is that if you just pay attention, or we would say connect the dots, if you're reading through, you know, Exodus through Deuteronomy, and all these sacrifices in the continual... Uh, you know, repetition of sacrifices, it ought to, it ought to dawn on you, particularly because I think they want us to focus on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, which is that once a year, the Yom Kippur, where, where the high priest first, he sacrifices for his own sins, then he sacrifices for the sins of the nation of Israel. But he does this every year. And, and the author of Hebrews says, the fact that he has to do it every year should tell you 
doesn't really work. No, but I would be the first to admit, if I'm just reading Leviticus, I'm not going to necessarily come away with that conclusion. I'm struck, too, and I'm not Catholic, although my wife's a former Catholic, and I know your Catholic background, the idea of going to confession every week in the Catholic Church and all that. I mean, just, again, from a Protestant, non-Catholic background, I look at that, and that strikes me as, wait a minute, this doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. You're going through the motions, but nothing's really happening. You know, that's the idea. I mean, here, you know, sacrificing day after day, month after month, year after year, nothing gets better. No, in let, let's just digress for a moment and talk about, uh, conf- you know, confession mm-hmm. in a Catholic context. Whereas typically, I mean, typically they would have every Saturday, you would go, you could go to the confessional. No, I wasn't going every Saturday, but my routine would be about six weeks. That's what I would do it. <laughs> of course, I wasn't a believer, but hey, six weeks, and you would go into the confessional. You know, you go and kneel in this little box-like thing, and the, and the priest is in the center, so there are two people, one on each side, and when he when it's your turn to talk, there's a little sliding door with a screen. Mm-hmm. He, he slides it open, for your, and then it's your turn to go. So you say something like this. This is what I was taught to say. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been six weeks since my last confession. Then you begin to itemize your sins. I have disobeyed my parents three times. I've had impure thoughts. I've lied. I've whatever. Mm -hmm. You itemize your your thoughts. And then at the end of that, all your sins. Then the priest, he absolves you. You say this act of contrition. You say this little prayer. He absolves you. And then he gives you penance, things to do. Usually at that time, at least, it was various prayers. Mm -hmm you know, Our Fathers or Hail Marys, or then there's a little one, Glory Bees, which you love because they were very short. <laughs> he'd tell you to say these various prayers so many times. So then he'd absolve you, uh, declare you'd be forgiven. You would leave the confessional. You would go to the uh, communion rail. You'd kneel down and you'd say these prayers. And at that point, you are clean. And mm-hmm. I remember being at that moment, there is a certain bit of euphoria. You are clean, forgiven, but then let's say a bad thought creep into my mind. I dwell on that. And all of a sudden I'm dirty again. And it was just, it's a racket because it, it got me on the hook all the time because no matter how often I do this, even if I went every Saturday to get to confess my sins, as soon as I leave it, I start again. There there are times in my life I wouldn't have made it from the communion rail to the back door. Oh, (laughs) yeah, and we think in terms of Martin Luther. Before he became a believer, he is, of course, as a monk, an Augustinian monk, he he has a confessor, a guy he goes and confesses his sins to. He was wearing out his confessor because he's just thinking about, he's trying to get to confess all of his sins so he can be right with God, and and he just can't stop. Mm -hmm. And finally the confessor is saying, enough is enough, Mm -hmm. you know, and... Luther, at that point, he wasn't—he was not yet a believer, but he was correctly understanding. If you're going to go that route of having to confess everything to get accepted, you got to confess everything. And it was—it it, it was a blind alley because there was no way out. Right. You can't do it all, and the hopelessness of trying to be accepted on the basis of what you do, which is Jesus plus. Exactly, and that's what this book of Hebrews right. is saying that our high priest when he died on the cross, once and for all, sacrificed for all of our sin, past, present, and future. And when he paid for it and we embrace him as our Savior and Lord, that means then at that point, what he did on the cross applies to us forever. 
and he's the only way. You know, last night at our, our midweek study, we were talking about the the, sh- the sheep pen, and the, and he is the gate. You know, the one way, the narrow gate, all that. But that's exactly it. You look at the Old Testament system of laws and so forth. Not only can, you you can never obey perfectly, you're constantly up against it. Just like the Catholic analogy, it is only through this one sacrifice, once for all, that we're forgiven, that we're healed. And it's, it's a, such an amazing truth. It's just startling when you when you come to see it for what it is. And that's why, again, in context, thinking about these these Jewish believers who want to go back under this this faulty system, they clearly don't have doctrine, uh, right? Clearly understood. No, they don't. They don't. They and sound that, depressed. And to to use the language of the uh, author of Hebrews, he calls the old covenant system weak and useless, right. because right. even though it was given by God. Mm-hmm. But it was not given for the purpose of saving. It was given for the purpose of illustrating. Illustrating what the Messiah would accomplish in the future. Right. Well, Even your Catholic system of, of confession every, in your yeah. case, six weeks, yeah. which is kind of funny. Uh, really, when you think about it, should have, with like Martin Luther, should have continually driven to your knees because you keep seeing more and more your sinfulness. Your need for salvation. Ah, but I wasn't like Martin Luther. He he had a very tender conscience. I was pretty much a block of wood, and uh, and I really didn't. It wasn't until I was twenty years old, just about twenty years old, uh, right before my junior year at Penn State, that I really I went to hear with an old girlfriend. I went to hear a. Christian meeting where the gospel was presented, a youth meeting of a large group. And as he was describing our need for a Savior, a sinfulness, and I can't even remember all the details. Right. Uh, it was back in 19, September of 1970. But I do remember to this day, very vividly, the conviction of my sin. Mm. That I, I, all I knew was I desperately needed what he was talking about. I was, I was terribly convicted. I was in deep trouble. And I remember at the end of that particular little meeting service, they had a come on down front sort of mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. traditional, you know, sort of American evangelism thing. But I, um, I remember going, uh, they had a little counseling afterwards, and I remember going sitting there in a, in a desk with a counselor. Mm-hmm. And, and all I remember was I was deeply troubled. I had not yet believed. Mm-hmm. I knew that. And the counselor was talking to me, thinking as though I, I, quote, become a believer. And that wasn't the case. Actually, I I just wanted to, you know, get rid of this discussion, leave and get alone. I remember dropping the girl off at her home and getting alone, best I can remember. And and it's not all that clear, but it all resolved, you know, late that night. Mm. That, you know, trusting in Christ alone, wanting to live for him, that sort of a thing. And I remember... The next thing I remember is going, I was a lifeguard and swimming instructor during for my summer job while I, while I was at the university. I remember going to the pool the next day and becoming just terribly aware that my whole perspective of looking at life had radically changed. Mm. I, I, was, I was so biblically ignorant, but I was aware that I was a very different person. And that was... Uh, to this day, you know, there's things I cannot remember, mm-hmm. but that I vividly remember. Yeah, I had a similar experience in 71. Same thing. I remember walking around Orange Coast College 
in Costa Mesa, a little junior college, and everything seemed different. It's 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 just it's a different way of seeing life. Yeah. Because suddenly God is real, and now you're seeing you're seeing everything, people, everything else through through that lens. Yeah, we're reminded of Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This is the age now where God is transforming people. We're no longer in the age of the picture, where there's just a very few believers in Israel. Now we are in the age of fulfillment, the new covenant era, where God is collecting up the real people of God from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And so it's, we have a priest who actually accomplishes something, who actually purchases our salvation who gives us a standing with God as though we've obeyed perfectly when in reality we've just had our sins forgiven. Mm-hmm. It really is a remarkable is. thing. Yeah. And we can rest our shoulders. We don't have to uh, strive to somehow achieve this salvation. It's a gift. Oh, it's absolutely true. And that's sort of, uh, it's, it's constantly something to, be, to remind folks of that you know, in, in Matthew 11 says, being yoked to Jesus, yoke is easy and burden is light. The reason our yoke is easy and burden is light, which is the Lordship of Christ, is because we don't have to earn anything. Yes, we have a changed life. And yes, we're obligated to live for Jesus Christ, but that is never earning us anything. Jesus did it all. The cross does it all. Right. That's wonderful truth to remember. Uh, as always, you can uh, get a hold of us. Uh, the information will be at the end of the show. And we'll continue this conversation next week. Thanks for joining us. If you have any questions about today's program, want more information, or would like to support our ministry, you can find us on the web at ids.org or call us at 480-924-4290 or email jeff at jeff.volker at ids.org. 